Well, good morning. Good to see you here today. Glad to be here with you as we continue in this Psalms series. And let me uh, add my happy Mother's Day to the moms in the room. I pray blessing uh, and favor on you. And then also, I appreciate the prayer that Ben and the other campus pastors just prayed, recognizing that this is a bittersweet day uh, for many. In my household, this is a a bittersweet day. So I get it. And uh, pray for those um, women and men. Uh, who are in that space today as well. Uh, But may it be a good day that we would find God's grace and sing to the Lord a new song, as we just heard in that video. So that is the the opening line and dominating idea of Psalm 96, which we'll consider uh, in just a moment today. But it also sort of brings to mind for me uh, old songs that sometimes we sing. Just this past week, we had a a meeting, uh, staff, Uh, One of our staff members came in and he was complaining that he had a song stuck in his head uh, that he had heard on the radio. He didn't really like the song, but it just, you know, you know how this happens, just playing over and over in his head. And he kept trying to listen to other songs, but kept going back to that song. And he was just sort of laughing and saying, I can't get this song out of my head. And that happens, right? We get songs stuck in our head. And sometimes we sing some familiar old songs a lot that maybe we're not even aware of. So one day my kids were laughing at me for going around singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow all the time. I didn't even know I went around singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow uh, until they pointed it out. And uh, I I guess that's an old song that I go around singing. So if you hear me doing that, you can laugh at me. I was trying to think about my mom. It's Mother's Day. Like, is there something that she used to sing that I remember? And I couldn't think of one. But I can think of one that my dad used to sing. Uh, He used to go around singing Innery the Eighth I Am. Old song. Kept on singing it to himself. I don't even think he realized that he did. After the 9 o'clock service today, someone came up to me and told me it was Hey Jude for them. Just can't stop singing Hey Jude. It's just stuck in his head. No, 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 no. You see, now it's in yours. Um, but, but we get old songs stuck in our head, right? Um, it's just part of life. And then there are old songs uh, that play in our minds and in our hearts Uh, that are more serious than something like Hey Jude or Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, So I just want to share a a little bit of my own personal story with you. And just in case you're wondering, my wife and I talked about this ahead of the service and said, yeah, we're going to share a little bit of our story uh, because we feel like it fits so much in this theme of old songs. So for the last six or eight months, um, my wife and I have been doing some big work on our marriage. Uh, We're coming up on our 20-year anniversary and um, just came into a space where we needed to do some, uh, do some work. And so part of our uh, honest reflections uh, on our relationship over the last 20 years is recognizing some old songs that kind of just keep playing, that uh, are hard songs, that aren't healthy songs, that when we come into conflict, there's tension and challenge and difficulty, and we're beginning to see, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's an old song that, that we just keep playing over and over again, uh, and we're kind of stuck in some of those patterns, can't get it out of our relationship. And I mean, interestingly, as I'm studying Psalm 96 for this sermon uh, and, and seeing this idea of an old song, uh, long before that, we had actually used this analogy of a tape. So like we'd come into, you know, tense moments and, and recognize, oh yeah, that's that old tape that we would play over and over again. Uh, sometimes we get stuck, don't we? Some old songs play over and over again in our lives and we get stuck and they rob us of joy Uh, and they might even rob us of hope because we can't get those old songs out of our head 
can't get those old songs out of our life. Uh, We might want to sing a new song, uh, but we just find that a challenge. And I think that's where Psalm 96 can step in and be so helpful for us. Uh, This idea of singing to the Lord a new song, what does that mean? Uh, And why is that important for us in our lives, specifically uh, when we find some of those old songs playing uh, that kind of keep us stuck in some ways that we would really like to find newness in. So with that, uh, I would love to take us to Psalm 96. We're going to read it together. Uh, It's going to be up on the screen, but uh, I'm going to point out some words and phrases as we go uh, after it comes down off the screen. So if you have a Bible uh, or you want to pull it up on your phone or something like that, you might find that helpful. So Psalm 96 uh, goes like this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved and he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord in Psalm 96. So I just want to spend a little bit of time kind of walking through on a high level what we, what we just read. Um, the opening line, sing to the Lord a new, a new song, is the main idea, and it gets unpacked in four sections in this psalm. So if you were putting together an outline for a presentation or something, uh, it, it would, might follow a pattern something like this. Pretty simple idea. The first three verses invite us to sing a new song, to praise the Lord, and then the next three verses tell us a reason why. And then we come back and we're told again um, to give praise and honor and glory to the Lord. And then we're given another reason why. So just we're going to walk through these ideas real briefly to just kind of get our minds around this and then spend some time thinking about how we can interact with this personally. So the opening verses of Psalm 96 verses 1 through 3, three times sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, this new song. And, And then we have this language of uh, proclaiming and praising and declaring. So it says, proclaim his salvation day after day, praise his name, declare his glory uh, among the nations. And so it's this idea that we would um, have an attitude of the heart of a desire to praise God and that it would sort of flow out in these kinds of things, giving, giving verbal praise uh, to him, uh, talking about his greatness and his goodness and the things that he's done. Declaring his glory, giving declarations uh, because of this attitude of the heart. And, and specifically, we're, we're introduced in these, in these verses to a new work that God is doing. 
And it's a work that, that his praise would go through all the earth. So phrases like, sing to the Lord all the earth, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. One of the themes throughout the Old Testament is the, the new work that God did when his relationship with Israel, the Jewish people, was opened up to all the other nations of the world. I mean, that's one of the macro stories of the Bible is that God established a relationship with Abraham and the Jewish people. And then his, his you know, promises, his covenant, his love and grace was extended to all the nations. And that's actually celebrated in these opening verses. So we're singing to the Lord a new song or invited to sing a new song in response to the new work that, that he was doing in extending his relationship to every nation. So Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 43. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. This is the Lord speaking. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you see it? So, so God is in the business of doing a new thing, uh, of, of bringing about new graces to pass. And, and we're invited to sing a new song in response to that. So the opening verses invite us to sing a new song to the Lord. And then we're given some reasons why, verses 4 through 6. And essentially it's because of his greatness. Verse 4 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Down in verse 6, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So, so essentially all of this sums up that, that we're called to sing this new song to God because of his greatness, because of his Goodness. If we truly become convinced that God is good, that, that words like splendor and glory and majesty are, are sort of rightly associated with God, and that begins to sort of soak into our mind and our heart, uh, then we would begin to sing this new song. So we sing a new song to God because of his goodness. And then the psalm goes on and continues to invite us to sing um, this new song, verses 7 through 9. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe the glory to his name. So just another way of coming back to that opening idea of singing a new song, only this time saying, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Essentially, give credit where credit is due. Um, recognize that, that God is the one who is glorious and who is working uh, in all things. So give him the credit that he is due. And then in similar fashion, we're given another reason why we would give him credit. And it begins in verse 10. And in the closing verses, it says, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Uh, and it goes on that, you know, the heavens rejoice at this. The earth rejoices at this. All creation, um, Birds and fish and sea and trees and fields. Uh, even the creation is, is ascribing to the Lord the glory who do his name, giving him credit because the Lord reigns. So the Lord is in control. So that's, that's sort of a, a, a fast summary, but sort of step back and say, all right, we're invited to praise God out of this new attitude of our hearts, sing to the Lord a new song. And the first reason is because he's good. He's He's great. Uh, splendor, majesty, that's, that's who God is, his goodness. And then we're told, okay, praise the Lord, give, give credit where credit is due, and we do that because God is in control. Uh, he is the one who is reigning and ruling and, and working behind the scenes 
uh, to accomplish his good purposes. So, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the flow of thinking in a nutshell. Sing a new song to the Lord because he's good and because he is in control. Now, I opened with the suggestion that sometimes we get stuck singing old songs to ourselves that rob us of joy uh, and of hope. And I'm going to suggest that, that the antidote to that, drawing from this psalm, the antidote to continuing to sing those old songs is to actually sing a new song to the Lord. Specifically, singing a new song to the Lord can help us stop singing those old songs to ourselves. I'll say that again. Singing a new song to the Lord can help us stop singing some of those old songs to ourselves. But when we're stuck and when we're struggling to find joy and hope, that can be a challenge, can't it? In fact, that might even ring a little hollow or empty or disingenuous that we would somehow sing a new song to the Lord when in actuality, we're, we're frankly, we're stuck uh, and, and we're struggling to find any joy or hope from the Lord. Um, so in order to sing a new song, in order to give God the praise and the glory that this psalm calls for, we have to become convinced that he actually is good and that he actually is in control. So those reasons that the psalm brings forward for giving God praise are exactly the things that we need to become convinced of if we're going to truly sing a new song and kind of get out of some of those old patterns. So how do we get there? I think that's, that's the question, right? We might say, that would be great if I, could, if I could get a new song. It's like that person at our staff meeting earlier this week. I'd love to sing a new song. I keep trying to put new songs on, but they can't sort of push that old one out. We would love to make that transition, but how uh, do we get there? So Psalm 96 um, has a historical context that, that we know how this psalm was used actually uh, by King David. Uh, in Israel's history. Not every psalm has this. So there are 150 psalms in the Bible. Uh, Most of them are general psalms, so applied to general circumstances, and we don't necessarily know a a circumstance or a historical setting in which the psalm was used. But then other psalms, uh, we do. We, We know exactly how the psalm was used in a historical setting, and that's really helpful because we can kind of get some context for what's going on. And Psalm 96 is one of those psalms where we know uh, exactly how it was used. And interestingly, and I think this is very unique among the psalms, almost word for word, Psalm 96 shows up in First Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, so if you, if you were to go to 1 Chronicles 16, don't go there now, you'll get totally distracted. Uh, but, but verses 23 through 33 are almost exactly Psalm 96, like inserted into the story. So what was going on there? Uh, in Psalm 16, we have this great, or 1 Chronicles 16, I'm sorry, we have this great celebration going on that King David is leading because they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem in the establishment of David's new rule as king. Great rejoicing going on because of this celebration. And King David, who we don't think wrote this psalm, but he used this psalm, And he said, musicians, priests, lead everybody in singing this song of celebration. We're going to sing to the Lord a new song. 
But what's fascinating and I think really helpful for us is how David got there. Because it was a very personal story for David to come to this place where he was truly singing to the Lord a new song. David had to change his tune in his attitude and response to God in order to get to this place. So how might we change our tune if that's where we are today? So in order to understand it, you got to go back a little ways into um, Israelite history and understand what is the Ark of the Covenant. So when God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, uh, they were on their way to a land that God had promised them. They would, they would spend 40 years moving from Egypt into Canaan, the promised land. And God gave to his people through Moses very specific instructions on how to worship him. And as part of worshiping him, uh, God instructed Moses to build a box about four feet long, about two feet wide. Uh, and eventually in that box uh, would be the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. It would be some manna, reminding the people of his provision of food. Uh, There's a story of Moses' brother Aaron uh, holding out a rod and it budded with a flower, a reminder of God's power. All those were inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant was to be a symbol of God's presence and power among his people. So the presence of God resided with the Ark of the Covenant. And so everywhere that God's people went, as they were wandering from Egypt to the Promised Land, they took the Ark with them, and and the presence and power of God would guide them. Uh, It would lead them to where they needed to go. And when they sort of stopped and camped for a while, it would be part of the tabernacle where they would worship God as directed through the priests. But the presence and power of God was associated with the Ark of the Covenant. So then when Moses passed the baton of leadership to Joshua and they went into the promised land, uh, they had to drive out all the various nations that were there. So lots and lots of battles uh, when you're reading the story of Joshua. And what they would do when the armies would go out to battle, they would bring the Ark of the Covenant with them. Why? Because it was the presence and the power of God that was fighting their battles. That's where the victory came from. And every time they led out with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence and power of God, God would give them victory over the other nations. Maybe the most famous example of this that you've probably heard of is the Battle of Jericho. So the Israelites come to Jericho. There's big walls around the city. They march around it seven times carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And without throwing a spear or you know, any type of you know, battle, God causes the walls to crumble And it was clearly the presence and power of God symbolized there with the Ark of the Covenant. It was God that was providing the victory as long as they honored him by bringing the Ark with them. So along the way, in the story of Joshua, uh, they they went out to battle without the Ark one time. And sure enough, they were defeated. Uh, Didn't bring the presence and power of God, didn't lean on his power, and they were defeated. And, And they realized what they had done. Oh, no. We, we, we lost that battle because we presumed on our own strength. We didn't rely on the presence and power of God. So let's go back and fight the Philistines again. And let's bring God's presence and power with us. But they had sort of presumed on God's grace and they were conquered again. And the Philistines actually captured the Ark of the Covenant. Now you imagine this. This is the presence and power of God among the people. This is the source of their victory. And now it's been stolen. Uh, by this neighboring nation. This this is devastating for the people of God. And it's so fascinating to see 
uh, what happens because coming into the Philistine territory, pagan nation did not worship or honor God. Uh, The presence and power of God for the Philistines did not bring blessing. It brought destruction. They didn't see God as good. They didn't see God as in control. They didn't worship him and give him the glory that he was due. And so the power and presence of God brought destruction and disease uh, and and, all sorts of uh, catastrophe to the Philistines. So much so that after seven months they said, we got to send this thing back. We don't want the God of the Israelites anywhere near us. So they strapped the ark to a cart. They, they tied a couple of oxen to it. Nobody even went with it because nobody wanted to be near it. And they sent it on the road back toward the Israelite territory because they didn't want anything to do with the power and presence of God. They didn't see him as good. They didn't see him as in control in good ways. So it comes back into Israel. Um, and you can read the story of how this happened in the, the early chapters of 1 Samuel. Um, but it eventually landed in a town called Kiriath Jerem. I know everybody's favorite Israelite town, Kiriath Jerem. Uh, and, and it came to the house of Abinadab, an Israelite man. And there it, there it resided for 20 years. Um, brought blessing when, when God's presence and power were honored, um, God's presence was good. And and it brought blessing and favor. So at the same time, while the ark was 20 years in Israel, but in this relatively small uh, town of little consequence, David uh, was coming to power as the king of Israel. If you know any of that story, you know, the, the king before David was Saul, bad king. David was coming up and, and st- coming into his rule. So part of that, David reestablished his rule in Jerusalem, which was the holy city. So David, new king, man after God's own heart, reestablishing uh, the, the, the capital holy city there in Jerusalem. And, and David has... Um, this desire to let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, the power and presence of God, and bring it in where we're going to build a temple to God, celebrating, worshiping him, and bringing the the symbol of his power and presence into that temple. That was a very good thing. It was huge. It was new. It was historic. It was the the uniting of God's power and presence, the, the reuniting of his power and presence with his people under the good kingship of David. This was a cause for great celebration. But the personal journey that David had to go through to get there is where I think we can find so much help for how we can engage with this idea of singing to the Lord a new song. Because it took two tries for David to get the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. His first attempt, you read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, uh, he sent um, a group of people to the house of Abinadab there in Kiriath-Jerim. said, we're going to transport the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And so they put it on a cart, uh, had a couple of oxen pull it, and had sort of an entourage there around it of good Righteous, upstanding Jewish men. And at some point, it hit a bumpy spot in the road. Seemed like the ark was going to fall off the cart. And a man named Uzzah, well-meaning, reached out, touched the ark uh, to keep it from falling over, and God struck him dead. The wrath of God was poured out on Uzzah for keeping the ark of the covenant from falling off the cart. Well, what just happened there? Uh, Why would God do that? Here we are wanting to uh, 
celebrate God's goodness, celebrate his power, restore his presence and power to that holy city. What could be a more noble cause? And what could be more noble than trying to keep it from falling off the cart? Why would God pour out his wrath and, and take Uzzah's life for doing this? And so 1 Corinthians 13, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles, those two are hard, right? Um, <laughs> First Chronicles 13, uh, we're told that David was angry. He got angry at God. Why would you do this? And then he, then he had sort of a fear and dread of bringing God's power and presence close to him. Uh, he said, far be it for me to, to bring the ark, uh, if that's what it means. So David's, he doesn't understand what God is doing. He's angry with God. He's afraid of God. And rather than bringing the ark into Jerusalem, he sent it to the home of another man named Obed-Edom. How'd you like to be Obed-Edom? Everybody's terrified. Nobody wants anything to do with the power and presence of God. You take it. So, but what we find is God's favor, blessing, uh, began to be poured out on Obed-Edom. So what's going on there? I mean, why? for some, the power and presence of God was blessing and favor. For others, the power and presence of God was destruction and calamity. Uh, and, and between 1 Chronicles 13 and 1 Chronicles 15, um, we, we find that David got, got to thinking. And he did a little bit of research on what, what, what is happening there. He was so angry with God because he didn't understand God's actions. But evidently, and we're not told this story, but if we, we put the pieces together, I'll show you in a second. Uh, David went back and, and began to review how God had given instructions originally to Moses about how his power and presence were to be handled. Uh, and there's a particular way that the ark was to be transported. It had rings on the side. Poles went through the rings and only the priests were supposed to carry it. Proper honoring and reverence for God's presence and power. And so David realized, oh, God actually told us exactly how to handle his power and presence. And it's not that God was unjust uh, and actually not good. It was that we didn't do our part. We didn't pay attention uh, to what God wanted to be done. And so what we find in First, First Chronicles, I did it again, First Chronicles 15, David's saying to the Levites, he says, no one but the Levites, and so this is when they're going back. So David Realize what had happened. All right, now let's go back to Obed-Edom. Let's try again to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And here's what David says. David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So, the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the Ark of God with the poles on their shoulders, as Moses had commanded, in accordance with the work of the Lord. So not only was this celebration of the new work of God uh, historic in, in the history of Israel, it was very personal for David. Because David had to change his tune in his relationship with God in order to see God as both good and in control. You follow me? He had this experience of God's anger and wrath um, because he had not paid attention. And so he interpreted this action in a certain way. 
But when he stopped, when he did his research, when he dug a little deeper, when he read those records and saw, oh, that's what was going on, then he handled the power and presence of God in a way that gave proper glory that was due his name. And the ark was brought into Jerusalem uh, and, and much favor came with the power and presence of God as it should have, as it had uh, all through the history of the Israelites uh, when, when it was properly revered. But it was not obvious at first to David. Even King David, the greatest king that Israel ever knew, it was not obvious to him that God was good, that God was in control, and, and why things had played out the way that they did. And when he didn't understand, he was angry with God and wanted nothing to do with his presence. But when he understood, when he saw God as good and in control, then he drew near to God's presence and found God's favor and blessing. And then there was this great rejoicing, right? Then it was, ah, sing to the Lord a new song. Strike up the band. Worship leaders play the music. Now we're singing to the Lord a new song because we see the glory that he possesses. Now we're going to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. But he had to change his tune to get there. And I think in the same way that David um, had to pay attention, had had to dig in and sort of revisit the story of what had happened in order to change his tune, I think many of us need to do the same thing. Uh, when we're stuck and, and we, we just can't get those old songs out of our head and we just keep playing them over and over again, uh, I think the invitation is for us to follow David's example of going back and paying a little bit closer attention to what's happened in our life that have caused us not to regard God as good or not to recognize his rule and reign that he is in control. Let's go back and pay attention to some of those things. I'm going to talk about two uh, examples. Uh, The first is just in our own personal relationship with God. Sometimes those old songs that play uh, in our heads and in our hearts are, you know, I look back on the circumstances of my life and and for the good things, I take credit. I mean, I made wise decisions. I did uh, the right thing. Sure is a good thing I was smart or got good advice. Or for the bad things, we want to blame ourselves and condemn ourselves. Uh, And that's kind of the old tape that plays. We're not not giving God uh, any any credit or blame. It's kind of all on us. Um, And and then we start to blame God and, and don't really feel like he's good or in control uh, because we can't make sense of what's happened because really the, the tape is all of the choices that we have made. And so the invitation for us is to kind of step back and pay a little bit closer attention. All right, let me ask some better questions about my own story and some of the things that have, that have come to pass and some of the attitudes that have crept up in my heart. Um, maybe things have happened that, that I've blamed God for or been angry with God for that I just haven't really understood what is it that he's doing in my own life? So there's an individual relationship with God set of old songs that, that we often play uh, that in order to sing to the Lord a new song, uh, we've got to go back and kind of pay attention and, and, and see if we can't see uh, what God has been doing in our individual relationship with him. And then also in our relationship with others, specifically the closest relationships uh, in our lives, our spouses, our kids, our friends, our family members, maybe it's parents or siblings, uh, and and do some hard work of paying attention uh, in those ways as well. So I mentioned earlier uh, the work that that 
Dina and I are doing in our marriage at kind of the 20-year mark here uh, as we've recognized some of those old songs that would play and, and the challenge of trying to uh, sing a new song in our relationship. Uh, some, of those, some of those challenges are kind of above our pay grade. And so I mean, right now we're, we're going to see a professional counselor to sort of help us ask questions that we don't know to ask. Help us to see with some objectivity oh, that's what's happening. Help us sort of walk back and pay closer attention than, than we are equipped even to pay to ourselves. And so I share that with you to say, sometimes it's hard, hard to go back and see with clearer eyes what's happened uh, in a relationship, whatever that relationship is. And, and getting help with that can be a huge piece of Making that shift from playing that same old song that just keeps us stuck in the same place, robs us of joy, robs us of hope, and gives us a new song to sing. Sometimes we need help with that, and that's a good thing to recognize. Sometimes it's just our pride that's in our way uh, of of not going back and sort of revisiting and and seeing what has happened. And what I want to suggest is that it's not just the relational categories, that God has a place to play in that, a part to play. So we begin to see what was God doing in my relationship with my spouse or parent or sibling or whatever it is. Where was God in that? I didn't, never saw it, never thought about it, never paid attention close enough to see what God might have been doing. But now that we sort of slow down, uh, we're, we're looking more closely, we're asking better questions, maybe we're getting some help, and we begin to see slowly, oh, God actually is good. Like, he, he was there when I couldn't see him at all. He actually was in control, and, and it was actually me who wasn't really paying attention. It's not that God's not good. It's not that God's not in control. It's that I just wasn't paying attention. I didn't, I didn't see it. And so I sort of responded from my gut the same way that David did. But when we slow down and we see these things, we can, we can begin to see how singing to the Lord a new song, our relationship with him, recognizing that he is both good and in control, both in our individual relationship with him and in our relationship with others, now I actually have a new song to sing. Like, oh, I I see some things in a new way. It's not just sort of empty, hollow words, sing to the Lord a new song, give the glory to his name. I can actually give him genuine praise. Like, oh, wow, how good is God? He's patient enough with me that that he didn't give give up on me because for so long I hadn't been paying attention. How much he's in control because he's timed things in such a way that, oh, wow, we, we would be at this place at this time and we're seeing these things and we're, we're, he's revealing his plans to us in a way that only he can. When we become convinced of God's goodness, that he is in control, that's when there's power to get out of those old songs that keep us stuck and rob us of joy and rob us of hope. And we've got a new song to sing. So my invitation uh, for all of us today, um, Mother's Day is a great day to think about these things. Instead of singing those same old songs, playing that same old tape, let's try paying close attention, spending some time in honest reflection, and try singing to the Lord a new song and just see what a difference that might make. Let's pray.
Lord, I confess, uh, even as I talk about these things, um, the power of those old songs is strong. Um, And so for each of us uh, here in this room or or listening to this today, uh, I pray that you, in your goodness and in your your reign and rule, would uh, empower us to stop playing some of those old songs, to see and hear and sing a new song to you um, and that you would bring about that good change that your power and presence can bring in our lives. Um, And we want to give you the glory and the credit that's due to your name in all of those things. But help us with this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.